0: Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Song of Solomon, Chapter 1. If you go to Psalms in your Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, then you'll find Song of Solomon. I want to give you guys a quick update about the amazing Easter weekend that we had here at Orchard Church last uh, weekend. We had five services, two on Saturday night, three on Sunday. We had a combined total of 2,765 people for Easter weekend. Can we praise God for that? Woo! And even better than that, we had 130 first-time families, not just individuals, 130 first-time families. And praise God, 22 people indicated on their connection card, they put their faith and trust in Christ over Easter weekend. So we can praise God for that this morning. Amen. And we couldn't have done it without so many of you guys stepping up and helping and serving. We had almost 300 volunteers to help us pull off Easter weekend. So right now, I want to ask you, if you served in any capacity last weekend, whether you were a greeter, host team, children's ministry, parking lot, if you served in any way, would you just please stand right now? And church, can we give them a big thank you, round of applause, this morning, for serving? Thank you guys so much. Thank you. I received uh, a lot of really encouraging emails this this week from, from first-time guests here uh, at Orchard and I want to read one of them to you and any of you that served in any way last weekend, you had a part in this family's experience and then this lady wrote this, she said, first off, I want to say that even though I was raised in church all my life, my children and I have been out of church for a number of years. It was a welcome relief to have visited Orchard Church on Easter Sunday and filled a void that has been empty for quite some time in our family. My younger son, age 3, has some emotional issues, and other churches we have visited have called me to come get him minutes after dropping him off in the children's ministry. Imagine my relief when I dropped him off kicking and screaming, but still never saw those numbers pop up on the screen. I got to sit through a whole service for the first time since his birth, only to pick him up afterwards with a big smile on his face. My older son, age seven, has been through a lot. It took him some convincing to try this new church. When I picked him up after service, his exact words were, we have to come back here. Now she said, I had to explain to him that not every Sunday would there be a bounce house and an egg hunt. But he calmly told me that it had nothing to do with that. He just wanted to be here every Sunday. We walked over to the egg hunt, and had one of the first stress-free, memorable moments together as a family that we've had for a very, very long time. A huge thank you from the bottom of my heart. Isn't that a great testimony? Man, wow. So thank you so much for all of you that served and helped us have an incredible Easter weekend. Well, I hope you guys are excited today as we launch into our new series in the book of Song of Solomon. And this is called God's Not Gray. Um, Most of you probably by now have heard of the book Fifty Shades of Gray. Uh, Maybe you've heard of the movie uh, Fifty Shades of Gray that recently came out. I am not even going to ask you to raise your hands if you've read the book or seen the movie. I don't want to know. okay? But uh, for those of you that have not heard about this... Uh, I've not read the book, seen the movie, don't plan to. I want to read you a synopsis of what uh, this is about. Fifty Shades of Grey is a 2011 erotic romance novel by British author E.L. James. The book traces the deepening relationship between a college graduate, Anastasia Steele, and a young business tycoon named Christian Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey has top bestseller list around the world. The series has sold over 100 million copies worldwide and has been translated into 52 languages. It was an immediate box office success breaking numerous box office records and earning over $566 million worldwide and is currently the highest grossing film of 2015. Now, when something is a cultural phenomenon like Fifty Shades of Grey, I think there are a couple of responses we can have as a church or I can have as a pastor. One response is we can condemn it. Say, don't read the book, don't see the movies, we can condemn it. You know, tell everybody what not to do. Another response is we can just kind of turn our head to it and a blind eye and hope it just goes away Or I think there's a third, better response, and that is it gives us an opportunity. It gives us an opportunity as a church to talk about some of these things. And this series is not about Fifty Shades of Grey, the book. It's about another book, a better book. Amen? It's about a book that hasn't just sold 100 million copies through history. It sells 100 million copies every year, and it's been translated into over 2,800 languages. And the reason we're going to look at God's Word on this subject is because God is the author of the subject of love and sex and marriage and and relationships. And when it comes to the Bible, God's not gray. If you believe that, say yes. And nowhere is that clearer than the book of Song of Solomon that we're going to be looking at in the next about five to six weeks. Song of Solomon was written, most believed, by King Solomon in the year 956 B.C., about a thousand years before Christ. If you've never read the, so- the book Song of Solomon, I encourage you to do so. And I promise you, this book will make you blush. You will probably blush today, and next week, and especially the third week. And, but it's an it's a amazing love story, the book of Song of Solomon. Some churches are afraid to even touch this book, but we're not afraid to go to God's Word on these important subjects. Now, whenever we talk about studying the Bible, I believe there are three applications to all scriptures, all passages, all books of the Bible. There's a historical application, there's a doctrinal application, and there's a practical application. And you can approach the study of Song of Solomon in, in one of these three ways. Are all three ways from a historical standpoint. Song of Solomon is a true love story. It's not a fictional story. We believe it really happened. It's a love story between King Solomon and what many believe to be his first wife, the one that he honored God with. Uh, she's called the Shulamite woman. She was a Shulamite, and, and we. Follow this historical story. We're going to watch as they meet each other, as they get to know one another, they fall in love, they get engaged, they get married, they go on their honeymoon, and they even have some conflicts, like all marriages do, and they work through it. From a doctrinal aspect, one of the great teachings of the book of Song of Solomon is many believe it's an allegory, and it's a metaphor of God's love for Israel, his people, and God's love for us, because Jesus Christ, we know, is the husband, and we are the bride of Christ. And so the picture of this love story is, a love story about how much God loves for us and and how much he cares about us. And so we can approach it from that direction. And then there's the practical application of Song of Solomon. It's about a relationship between a husband and wife. And we're going to watch as they passionately pursue one another, honor one another, and cherish one another. And that's primarily what we're going to focus on. And this study is going to help all of us. If if you're single, it's going to help you to pursue the right kind of God-honoring relationships. If you're single or if you're a teenager. If you're married, it's going to help strengthen our marriages in a God-honoring way. I was really encouraged uh, during the first service this morning at 8 o'clock. There was a first-time family, a husband and wife that came. And after the service, they said, this was our first time here. They said, we're going to go home right now. We're going to get our teenagers and bring them back to the 11 o'clock service to hear this message. So this is a great, great, great series. And But it is PG-13 as we've been uh, promoting that. I'd encourage you, if you have middle schoolers, high schoolers, have them in here. But for younger, some of this will not be uh, appropriate for them. So I encourage you to uh, take advantage of our wonderful children's ministry. Let me tell you where we're going in this series. Next week, we're going to talk about um, perfect seasoning. There's seasons of our relationships and our marriage. We're going to watch as this couple lovingly pursues one another. Another. The third week. Now, I hope you're here every week, but of all the weeks, write this one down. You do not want to miss the third week. This is the juiciest week. It's going to, we're calling it God Honoring Sex. And, and this couple is going to go on their honeymoon. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to read about this. So you don't want to miss that week. The next week, we're going to talk about reconcilable differences as the couple gets into a fight and a conflict and they work it out. And then the last week, we're going to look at love in action because love is not just a feeling and emotion, love is a verb. It's something we put into practice in our relationships. Today, we're going to talk about faithful attraction. If we're single, this is what we want to be and what we want to look for in a relationship. If we're married, this is what we want to build into our marriage so we stay attractional uh, to our spouse in a God-honoring way. It's interesting what people will do, the links they'll go to, 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 to try to find a mate and find some of the opposite sex. Today there's a big phenomenon called online dating. Now, we could say a lot of jokes and make fun of online dating. I'll I'll refrain from doing that because I know people who have met people online, uh, Christian couples they have gotten married and they have a wonderful marriage. But how many of you guys would agree you can't believe everything you read that somebody says about themselves on the Internet? Would you agree with that? So for those of you that might be... Uh, tempted to try the online dating, especially for singles, I want to keep this real. I want to help you out this morning. Just keeping it real. So if you're looking at a profile in online dating and she says she's 40-ish, it means she's 49 and a half. Okay? Yeah. If he says he's 40-ish, it means he's 52 and he's looking for a 25-year-old. Run, ladies. Run. If he says in his online profile that he's huggable, It means he's probably carrying a few extra pounds he's got as much hair on his body as Sasquatch, okay? Just helping you out, okay? If she says she's romantic, it may be because she looks better in candlelight, okay? Just just trying to keep it real, okay? I'm sorry if that offends you. If that doesn't, hang in there. I'll get to you eventually, I'm sure. We're equal opportunity offenders here at Orchard Church. If he says he's laid back and close to his family, it means he probably still lives at home, he's unemployed, and he hopes you have a great job. Okay? If she says, man, that she's bubbly and fun, she probably never shuts up. Okay? She's helping you out. If she says she's an independent woman, it means she probably has control issues. She will dominate you and you will like it. Okay? Keep that in mind. If he says he's average looking, he probably fell from the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. There you go. Trying to help you guys out. Trying to help you out. All right. Well, let's try to get spiritual now. I hope you'll take some notes this morning. As we dive into chapter 1, we're going to look at four qualities that we want to develop if we're single and we want to look for in our relationships and we want to develop in our marriages. Four qualities that will be attractional to our mate. The first one is this if you're taking notes. Godly character. We want to make sure our relationships are built on godly character. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. We believe he's the writer. And then, and as we read through this, some of your Bibles, it may say like the Shulamite and the beloved. The Shulamite is the woman in this relationship. The, what's going to be the wife. The beloved is King Solomon. And then she says this to Solomon. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Man, that's a great start to this book, isn't it? Can I have an amen. That's wonderful. For your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance, fragrance of your good ointments, your name. Everybody say your name. Your name is ointment poured forth, therefore the virgins love you. And then she says, draw me away. And what is it that she's drawn to? What is she attracted to? She's attracted to his name. She said it's like an ointment poured forth. Now when she's attracted to his name, this isn't like the middle school girl that puts Brad on her notebook and draws hearts around it. It's deeper than that. She says, your name is like an ointment poured forth. It was a perfume. And this was a very costly, expensive, valuable perfume that not everybody could get their hands on. And and it was important you had this perfume if you could because a lot of people in this culture, they didn't take baths. So they tried to get this ointment and perfume and put it on so they were presentable. And she said, man, your name is like this beautiful, valuable, precious perfume. Now, she's not just talking about his reputation. There's a difference between reputation and character. Reputation is what everybody else thinks about you. Character is what God thinks about you and who you really are. And she's talking about his name, his character. She says, your, your character, your godly character is so attractive. All the other virgins, which she's saying, the single women, they love you. This guy's like the most eligible bachelor. If the show was going on, he would have been picked. She says, "I'm I'm not attracted to you because you're a hottie with a body. I'm attracted to you because of your name, because of your character. And don't miss this, church. This is the most important point of all. It's the foundation for everything in our relationships. The most important thing that should attract us to someone and that we should develop is godly character. It's the first thing to look for. It's the first thing to develop. And if we want to attract godly character, we need to make sure that we possess godly character because la- like attracts like. If you agree, say yes. If you want somebody godly, you've got to be godly. If you want a godly marriage, you've got to be godly. If you want godly kids, you've got to be godly. You know, I've heard single girls sometimes say, you know, I always seem to attract the wrong kind of guy that always, you know, wants me for my body and only for one thing. And can I respectfully say, well, what, look at the bait you're, lo- you're using. If you don't like what you're catching, maybe you need to change the bait. You know, if you're going to the single bars all the time, get your twerk on. And I'm not going to give any examples, okay? Then don't be surprised that you're not attracting men with godly character, right? If you want a godly man, you've got to have godly character. If you want a godly woman, you've got to have godly character. And I would say the same is true in marriage. Marriage is not so much about um, finding the right person as it is being the right person. Godly character. I love the way Andy Stanley says this. Andy Stanley says, Become the person you are looking for is looking for. Man, I like that. Become the person you are looking for is looking for. You want a godly marriage, godly family, you've got to have godly character. Didn't Jesus say this in Matthew six thirty three? But seek first what? The kingdom of God. To be right with God. Godly character. Seek that first and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. Godly character. The first quality we want to develop and attract is godly character. Here's the second thing we want to develop and attract. Growing trust. You know, if you don't have trust in a relationship, you don't have anything. Growing trust. And watch how this growing trust takes place between the Shulamite woman and Solomon. Pick it up in verse 5. She says, I am dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kadar, and the tents of Kadar were made out of, of the black horsehair." And she says, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me though, because I am what? I'm dark. She's embarrassed by this. Because the sun has tanned me. She's been out in the sun too long. She said, my mother's sons, which would be her brothers, were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards to work out in the fields. But my own vineyard, my own body. She's going to use this imagery of my own vineyard. Talking about her body throughout this book. My own vineyard I have not kept. She's insecure. She's sharing her insecurities. She's like saying to Solomon, she starts out, she goes, I've got these insecurities. Don't look at me. Don't stare at me because I'm I'm dark. I'm sunburned. I've been out in the sun too long. In this culture, they believed it was more beautiful if you had lighter skin and you stayed out of the sun because the people that had darker skin were the ones that worked out in the fields and and they were the day laborers and they had to work hard. And and she was embarrassed by this, but her brothers made her work in the field and she couldn't take care of her, her skin. And so she's slowly revealing her insecurities. That I I am too dark. It's interesting today. Everybody wants to be dark. We go to tanning booths. It was just the opposite. And she's insecure. But we're going to watch as Solomon loves these insecurities away. And and as she shares these insecurities and he builds her up and encourages her, there's this growing trust that takes place in their relationship. And it's important in our relationships that we're able to be real and be who we are and, and be open and honest and share insecurities. It's a test of trust in any relationship. And usually we start with physical things, you know, I don't think I'm as attractive or I'm too heavy, I'm too skinny, I got bird legs, you know, I'm too tall, I'm too short. And as we share those insecurities and how the person we're with, whether we're dating or we're married, responds, either builds trust or breaks trust. I'm going to share something with you guys. I'm going to be very real and honest in in this series as I always try to be with you guys. And and, and we're all in this together. And I'm going to say something that's probably going to really shock you guys this morning. But I've always been... A little vertically challenged, I just want to let you guys know that. And so, when I was younger, I had some insecurities about that. But my my parents were great because they always encouraged me and so I wasn't as insecure about it as, as, you know, other guys that are are my size. But when I met Shelly, I I, I had a a rule. The girls I would date, um, I had a height rule. And they could only be one inch taller than me. No more. If you were more than an, uh, an inch taller than me, it was kind of like the rides, you know, at the amusement park. You know, I had like a line. And, and Shelly barely made the cut. She's about an inch taller than me. And I remember the first time she tried to wear high heels and I was like, hey, what are you doing? You can't, you can't wear those high heels. No, 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 no. And she's like, honey, nobody cares about that. I don't care about that. You're like six foot tall to me. Really? <laughs> That's the woman of my dreams right there. She's like, honey, you, you are my hottie with A body. Okay, I added that part, but uh, she'll be in one of these services. She'll call me out on things that aren't true. Um, but not only sharing physical insecurities in relationships, we, we got to be willing to, to share the more important things the, the emotional insecurities and sometimes spiritual insecurities. And If I could just be completely honest with you guys, when when I met Shelly, Shelly grew up in a pastor's home, and she accepted Christ at a very young age. And Shelly, from, you know, growing up to now, has never, like, you know, went off the deep end. She's never sowed her wild oats. She's never had this period of her life where she had this wild side that we know of. Okay, no, she, she hasn't, she stay, and I love that about her. She has stayed completely faithful to God all of her life, and, and that's what we, we all love about her, uh, but unfortunately, when I started dating her, that wasn't true for me, and some of you know my testimony, I've shared it before, there was about six years in my life that I was running from God, and I was out of church, and I was in college, and, and I, I wasn't doing things that were honoring to God, and when I met Shelley, and we started getting really serious, and I was about ready to ask her to marry me, I had to have a difficult talk with her, And I'll never forget the day. It was a Sunday afternoon. We had been to her mom and dad's house. We had lunch and we went for a walk around the neighborhood. And I said, you know, honey, there's some things before I ask you to marry me because she knew it was coming that I want you to know about me. I want to come completely clean and completely honest about my past. I don't want us to get married and you find out something. And I, it was a difficult conversation, but I just, I told her everything. Everything that I had struggled with, I said, you know, I'm I'm not proud of it, I'm ashamed of it, but God has forgiven me, I'm different now. And she said, Doug, God has forgiven you, and I forgive you. And we have a God of second chances. And I remember it was a turning point in our relationship. And even before we got married, it just built that trust between us that we're not going to hide anything from one another. We're going to be completely honest. And, And that growing trust encouraged me. And so those of you that maybe are single or you're single again and you're dating, you've got to ask yourself, can I trust this person? Can I trust this person? And trust takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And trust isn't just given, it is earned. If you agree, say yes. You've got to earn trust. And, and you, you, it takes a long time to earn trust, but you can break it just like that. Can I trust this person? When I'm with them, do they build me up or do they tear me down? You know, even in your marriages, can you trust each other? Can you be open? Can you be honest? Do you feel safe? Do I trust them? We want to look for and develop godly character and growing trust in our relationships. Here's a third thing. We want to look for and develop higher standards. Higher standards. Look at verse 7. She says this to Solomon. Interesting statement. Tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon, For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? What's she referring to when she says, I don't want to be like the other women that veil themselves. In this culture, the veiled women were the prostitutes. They were the women that would give their bodies to men for financial gain. And she said, I am not like that. I am saving my body for my husband when I get married. I have higher standards. And he loves this about her because notice his response in verse 8. He says, if you do not know, O fairest among women, follow the footsteps of the flocks and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. He says, you're the fairest. He acknowledges her purity and her higher standards. He acknowledges them like like the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. He says, that's one of the things about you that I'm attracted to, that you're saving yourself for marriage and God's design and God's standard." Now this is where it gets uncomfortable in this series, and it won't be the last time. This may seem old-fashioned, what I'm about to say. This may seem archaic. I realize we live in a day and age where people sleeping together before marriage is acceptable and even expected. But can I tell you on the authority of God's word, that is not God's plan. That is not God's design. God's plan is one man for one woman to experience a sexual relationship inside of the bonds of marriage. Anything outside of that is called fornication. It's called adultery. And and the Bible is clear on this subject. And and sex is not a dirty word. We're going to use that word a lot in this series. And we shouldn't be ashamed of the word sex because God created it. Amen? That's a good place for an amen. That's a good one. (laughs) It's God's design and God created it. And, and, and it, when it's inside of marriage the way God intended, it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. We're going to see that in week three. But we've allowed the world to distort it because people have not done it God's way. And, and many marriages today are struggling. Over 50% don't make it. They don't last. They don't stay together. And, and let me just say it this way. If you want what everyone else has, then just do what everyone else does. And it's not working. Or you can make a conscious decision to say, you know what, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to do it God's way. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care how old-fashioned it is. I don't have to try before I buy. I'm going to do it God's way, and I believe God is going to honor that, and and our marriage is going to be better for it. We're going to have higher standards, and you can make that decision. You see, I believe... Especially for those who are single, maybe dating, or will be dating in the future, there are only two options for dating couples in the eyes of God. One is we're going to honor God together. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing, we're going to do it right, and we're going to celebrate and enjoy the gift of intimacy for the first time on our wedding night. And we can make a decision to honor God together. The only other option is we're either going to honor God together or we're going to sin together. That's really the only two options. And you know, those that choose to not honor God together, you, you, it really takes away the beauty of what God's planned for the honeymoon. Because the honeymoon just becomes business as usual. Another day at the office, it's nothing special. It's nothing really that meaningful because we've, we've already taken it outside of what God designed. It's like opening your Christmas presents before Christmas. And you know what I've seen happen many times in marriages for people that didn't wait and do it God's way is that this distrust begins to creep into the marriage relationship because what people subconsciously begin to realize is we compromised before marriage. And so I was a compromiser and I married a compromiser. And so if if we would compromise before marriage, is it not possible we might compromise during the marriage? And do you see how that can break trust? If you do, just say yes. It's a serious thing. And if we want what everyone else has, which is trouble and turmoil, then just do what everybody else does. But if we want something special and we want something different, let's have higher standards as we're gonna watch this couple do and let's honor God and see what God does with that. I'm thankful and privileged to be able to tell you guys this morning that Shelly and I waited until we were married to be intimate. We waited. Now, I wish I could tell you that both of us, that was, that was true. It was true for Shelly, but unfortunately, it wasn't for me in past relationships. And, and, but we waited. And I, when, when Shelly and I met, I, we said, we're going to do this right. We're going to honor God. We're going to have higher standards and God's going to bless that, which is one of the reasons why on our wedding day, when we were in the reception, I'm like, let's get out of here. <laughs> they can eat cake on their own. Cause we waited. We chose to wait. And and, and I remember we, we went on our honeymoon and we were going to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. It was about an eight-hour drive. And I was like, there ain't no way I'm gonna drive eight hours after our wedding. So we went to Branson, Missouri, Table Rock Lake. We got a cabin on the Lake. And, but it was about an hour drive, and it was the longest hour of my life. Because we Chose to honor God and we waited. And then, I, you know, we, we finally got there, you know, and she, she's kind of still in her wedding dress. And then I pick her up, carry her over, you know, we go, go in. Now, I'm not going to tell you everything, okay? But I will tell you a few things. And I'm like, finally. And we hadn't eaten dinner. And Shelly's like, man, I am starving. Aren't you hungry? No, not really. I'm good. I, I can wait. So she talked me into going to dinner. So we, we go to dinner and I'm like, can we get this to go? You know, the guy afterwards like, you guys want dessert? No, just bring us the check. You know. And so then we, we, we finally go back to our cabin. True story. And my brother-in-law, God bless his heart, he made us a cassette tape of love songs. And he gave us a a boom box to play it in back in those days. Talk about that on Easter. And so he said, hey, I made this tape of love songs to make your evening more enjoyable. And we were like, okay, it's kind of creepy, kind of weird, but okay. And so we get to the room and we're like, should we put this in? And so we debated and we were like, well, let's give it a try. So we put the cassette tape in, we push play, and like all these, you know, famous late 80s love songs come on, like Foreigner. I want to know what love is, you know, (laughs) want you to, Okay. And, but... That starts. And we're like, oh, this is kind of nice. And then all of a sudden there's an interlude in the music and my brother-in-law's voice comes on. I'm telling you, God is my witness. And he's like, hi there, I've made this music for your intimate pleasure this evening. We're like, turn it off. I, t- I was telling my teenage daughter about this during this message. And I was telling her this story. She's like, that didn't happen. I'm like, it did happen. I'm telling you, it's a true story. And, and she goes, what did you do with the tape? I'm like, we burned it. <laughs> but it was a, a wonderful night, a beautiful night. Because I believe that the gift of sex is God's wedding present to the couple on their wedding night. Now, now, now I know what's happening, even though we're having some fun with this. Some of y'all are like, well, we blew that one. And I am not now or at any point in this message series going to try to make you feel guilty. I'm not going to try to make you feel bad. I'm not going to try to put shame on you. That's what Satan, our enemy, likes to do. And I don't want to side with that. And, and I've seen this happen with some married couples that say, you know what, if I would have known then what I know now about God and His Word, I would have done it differently, and it's not too late to do something about it. You say, what? Because my Bible tells me, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, amen? And I've seen couples after 5, 10, 15, 20 years of marriage, when they understand God's design, they sit down and they pray together and say, God, would you forgive us for not doing the way you did, and He cleanses them, and it's freeing. It's a freeing thing, and it can be. And maybe some of you need to do that. Maybe some of you that are dating right now, you haven't been doing it God's way, and you need to say, from this day forward, we're going to ask God to forgive us, and we're going to wait. And we're going to do it God's way. And I believe with all my heart, it's one of the reasons why Shelly and I have been married for 22 years. Because we waited, we honored God. Because can you agree with this church, if nothing else, we want to build relationships not on sinning together, but on honoring God together. Can we agree with that? So we want to... B, and we want to attract those with godly character, growing trust, higher standards. And here's the fourth thing. We want to look for consistent encouragement in our relationships. Consistent encouragement. Look at verse nine. As Solomon encourages his soon to be wife, he says, I have compared you my love to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Now a filly was a young female horse. That needs some explanation. He calls her a filly, a young female horse, but it wasn't just any horse. It was a pure white horse. Remember her insecurities? She was insecure because she was dark. Her skin was very dark because she'd been outside. He says, man, you're like, listen, baby, you're like a white horse to me. And not just any horse. You're like one of the, the filly that pulls Pharaoh's chariots. This was the most esteemed and prized horse in all the land. Many believed it was related to deity. He said, you're beyond value. That's how I look at you. You are gorgeous to me. If it were today, he'd probably say, you're like a white Lamborghini. That's probably what he would say today. But in that day, that was it was a Philly. And so those of you that are single and dating or maybe dating, you need to ask yourself this question: Is the person that you're with making you feel better or worse about yourself? Is there consistent encouragement? Because that's what God would want. In your marriage. How's your relationship with your spouse? Are you always picking at them and tearing them down? Or are you encouraging them and building them up and making them feel better about themselves? Because it can be a monumental change in relationships when there's consistent encouragement. I remember this one particular instance in Shelly and I's marriage. I had been pastoring a church for about six years in Indiana, and God closed the door on that ministry, and we believe God had something else for us. We didn't know exactly what it was. It was through God closing that door that He led us to Colorado and the beginning of Orchard Church. God took something difficult and challenging in our life, and He's done something good with it and made it beautiful. But I remember Shelley and I had, to, there was a new neighborhood, and we were able to pick out a house and have it built, and it wasn't anything super fancy, but it was to us. And, and Shelly got to pick out everything she wanted, you know, the carpet color, the wall color, you know, everything just the way she wanted. And we, and we loved that house. And we'd only lived in it about a year and a half and God closed the door on our ministry there. And I remember like it was yesterday, sitting in the front of that house, our U-Haul was loaded up and we were leaving this kind of house of our dreams. And I began to sob and I began to cry and tears began to go down my face. And I said, honey, I'm so sorry that I'm taking you away from this house. I I promise you, trust me, one day I'll get you another house just like you want. And I was feeling horrible and defeated about myself, but I let my wife down and she just put her arms on me and she said, it is not about a house. A house doesn't make a home. She said, I love you. I love our family and I know God's got something special for us. I know that God is in this and I trust you. And I, and I know we can trust God to take this stuff. And I'm just telling you, man, that encouragement meant the world to me. There have been times in our marriage I've needed to encourage her about different things and build her up. And encouragement, consistent encouragement, is huge in any relationship. And watch how he just continues to encourage her. In verse 10, he says to her, Your, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We will make you ornaments of gold and studs of silver. He's like, you're so beautiful. We're going to get you some bling, baby. I mean, he's just pouring it on. He says, and then she, look at how she begins to respond to this consistent encouragement. She loves it. She says, while the king is at his table, my spikener, my perfume sends forth its fragrance. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me. She's fallen in love with him. That lies all night between my breasts. Amen and amen. Amen. <laughs> My beloved is to me a cluster of Haina blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. And then he responds, he says, Listen, listen, baby, behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You're you have doves' eyes. I mean, he's just pouring it on. Now, now they're starting to talk about the physical features of each other. But that's not where we started. Where did we start? Godly character. Growing trust. NOW THE PHYSICAL IS COMING IN. AND PHYSICAL IS IMPORTANT IN ANY RELATIONSHIP, BUT IT'S NOT THE FIRST THING. AND THEN THERE'S THIS CONSISTENT ENCOURAGEMENT BECAUSE SHE STARTED OUT INSECURE AND HE'S BUILDING HER UP AND IT'S BEAUTIFUL. AND, and LISTEN, LET ME HELP SOME OF YOU GUYS, YOU SINGLE GUYS ESPECIALLY, BUT REALLY YOU married GUYS AS WELL. THIS IS OUR SECRET WEAPON. YOU MAY FEEL LIKE YOU FELL FROM THE UGLY TREE, BUT IF YOU WILL CONSISTENTLY ENCOURAGE HER, YOU WILL GET BETTER LOOKING DAY AFTER DAY. CAN I HAVE AN AMEN, LADIES? If you love her, and you honor her, and you cherish her, and you encourage her, you'll get better looking. Have you ever seen a couple and you thought, how did that guy get that girl? It's probably because of consistent encouragement. Some of y'all wonder that about Shelly and I, how in the world did Doug get her? It's my secret weapon, encouragement. And notice the beautiful result. Of this consistent encouragement. First of all, she feels special. She feels special. Look at verse 16. She says, Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. You're, you're better looking to me every day. Yes, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. The beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters of fir. And now watch, watch what she says. I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valleys. And he's like, that's right, baby. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Notice she doesn't say, I'm one of the roses or I'm one of the lilies. She says, I am the rose. I am the lily, singular. What is she saying? I am the most special woman on the earth. I feel like I am the most special woman on the earth to this man. Now, who made her feel this way? Solomon, her soon-to-be husband. Isn't it interesting? In chapter one, she's insecure. In chapter two, she feels special. She feels unique. Why? Because he adores her, he loves her, he cherishes her, he values her. She is special. And not only does she feel special, she feels secure. Watch this in verse 3. She feels secure. Like an apple tree, she says, I feel like an apple tree among the trees of the woods. So is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. There's a lot of different ways we can translate that. I'll just let you guys figure that out, that last statement, okay? We'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. But what is she saying? She, when she says, I, I sit under the shade of his tree, she's saying he protects me with his shade. And remember, she was worried about her skin and being dark and being out in the sun. She says, I feel special with this guy. I feel secure. You know, anytime we've taught on marriage here at Orchard Church, I, I've told you this, Men. A husband has three roles in the marriage, three roles. You are to be the pastor, you are to be the provider, and you are to be the protector. And I'll just hit these real quickly, but this is how you make your wife or your future wife feel special and secure as pastor, provider, and protector. As pastor of your marriage, it means that you set the spiritual tone. It means that you lead your family in prayer. You pray at meals. You lead your family to be in church. To be in small group, to be in discipleship. You you lead your family in a spiritual way. You set the spiritual tone as pastor of your home. You see, because stay-at-home parents rarely raise go to church kids. You set the spiritual tone. Not only as pastor, but you are the provider of your home. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you make more money than she does. She may make more money than you, but it means you set the financial tone to provide for your home. It means you live on a budget. You live within your means. You have a a margin. You go to Dave Ramsey and take financial peace. You have an emergency fund for rainy days because it's going to rain. You lead your family to tithe and give back to God first, 10% because you want to be under the blessings of God. Men, you do that. You're the pastor. You're the provider. You're the protector. You protect her physically. And most men are like, yeah, I like that. I can do that. You know, and and most men, they're stronger than their wives. You better be stronger than her. She'll take you out. (laughs) But not just protect her physically, protect her emotionally, emotionally, and build her up and encourage her, protect her spiritually. And notice how this woman responds to this kind of security and feeling special. Verse 4 through 6. She says, he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was, say it church, love. He loves me, and he sustains me with cakes of raisins. We don't have time to get into this, but do the study, check it out. Raisins during this time were an aphrodisiac. That's what they were. And she says to him, I want you to refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. You ever met someone that's lovesick? She's lovesick. She's fallen in love with this guy. She's like, I am ready to give all of myself to this man inside of marriage because he has given all of himself to me. And then look at the picture in verse 6. She says, his left hand is under my head and his right arm embraces me. And may God bless the reading of His Word at Orchard Church (laughs) this weekend because this is coming in a couple of weeks. And what a beautiful scene. But how did we get to this beautiful scene as they're imagining being together and being married and being intimate? It started with godly character and then it led to growing trust. Higher standards, consistent encouragement. She feels special. She feels secure in this relationship. And she wants to give all of herself to the man who's given all of himself to her. I'll say it again, church, as we wrap this up today. If you want what others have, then do what others do. But if you want something different and you want something unique and you want something special, then do it God's way. For God's glory and for our good. Let's make sure we are looking for and we're being a faithful attraction. This is God's plan. This is God's design. And God's not gray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, the challenge of it, this beautiful picture. May we make sure it finds its way into our relationships to honor you and for our good. With heads bowed and eyes closed right now, if you only remember one thing on this first week to focus on, it's the first thing we talked about. It encompasses everything else it's the foundation we want to make sure we build godly character into our relationships I believe if we get that right all the other things will fall into place be the person you are looking for is looking for if you're here today and you're single How many of you singles would say, I want to make sure that I am developing godly character because I want to meet someone with godly character. I want to have a marriage with godly character. I want to have kids with godly character. Can I pray for you singles? Anyone like that? Would you slip up your hand all across this auditorium? God bless you singles. God bless you. I'll pray for you in just a moment. How many of you are married here this morning? You would say, you know, God has spoken to me today. There's some areas of my life that I could develop better godly character so I can have a more godly home and godly marriage and godly kids. Can I pray for some married? couples this morning, would you slip up your hand for prayer? God bless you. Hands everywhere. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers, that we would build godly character into our relationships for your honor and your glory. And that there would be a growing trust that we would have higher standards, that we would that we'd look for opportunities to consistently encourage in our relationships. And Lord, that we would experience the beauty of this scene that we've read about this morning in all of our relationships as we honor you for your honor and for our good help us to put these into practice and live them out with heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior godly character is impossible without knowing God personally have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you see this is the beauty of the book of Song of Solomon Song of Solomon is a picture of God's love for you. That God loved you enough to give all of Himself through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross so that we would respond to that love by giving all of ourselves back to Him. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where it begins. And this is a picture of how much God loves you and how much God wants to embrace you for all eternity. And I I believe there's some of you here today that you're not here by accident and and God has brought you to this point so God can pour out His love and His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness upon you. And if that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer of faith. It's a prayer you can pray from your heart to God's right now where you sit. And you can invite Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. I'll lead you in this prayer. It's not a magic prayer. These aren't magic words. But if you put faith and belief behind it, Jesus Christ will come into your life today, forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. And you'll experience the greatest love you could ever experience. And then he'll begin to build godly character into your life and into your marriage and into your family or your future relationships. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer of faith with me to receive Christ? If you've never done that, it goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me to show me your love. Jesus, come into my life. I want to give my life back to you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus. Well, that's about a nice, close. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But if you just pray that prayer of faith, I would love the privilege and honor to pray for you, that you would grow in a loving relationship with Jesus from this point forward. Would you just slip up your hand for prayer if you prayed that prayer of faith with me this morning? God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you. Several people over here on my left. God bless you. God bless you, ma'am, over on my right. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? I I pray to invite Jesus into my life today for the first time. Thank you. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for all those putting their faith and trust into you today. I pray they would grow in their relationship with you from this day forward, that they would fall in love with you and your word and then we could help them in any way. God, I pray in this first week of God's Not Great that we would apply these truths to our life, and that we would have relationships that honor you and are for our good. And thank you for loving us so much and showing us what love is all about by giving your son to die for us. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for your goodness and for your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate decisions for Christ this morning? Amen. <laughs> if you made a... Decision for Christ this morning. You raised your hand. You said, I accepted Christ for the first time. Please let us know about that inside your newsletter on that connection card. Just indicate that you accepted Christ. And then drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by. So we just continue to pray for you and your faith journey. If you're a first-time guest here at Orchard Church, thank you so much for being our first-time guest today. We hope we have blessed you as much as you've blessed us with your presence and and joining us. If you filled out your connection card, I hope you did, first-time guest, drop that in the offering bucket. we receive our gifts in just a moment so we can send you a thank you note in the mail and a free gift. Uh, We're not interested in your money today, guest, but we're definitely interested in in you. Hope you guys enjoyed the first week of God's Not Gray. You don't want to miss next week. We talk about perfect seasoning, the seasons of our relationship and our marriage as they pursue one another. You don't want to miss it. Um, Let's stand as we close in a song of worship. Worship through our giving. God bless you guys this morning.